Hello and welcome to Wonderful. I'm David Pearl, the founder of Street Wisdom, and this is a podcast we've designed for anyone who wants to get some inspiration on the go. Today, a lot of us are listening to podcasts while we walk. Wonderful is a podcast designed specifically for that, a podcast to walk to, something to put a bit of wonder in your wonder. You're welcome to listen to this as you wander around your home or lying on the sofa even, you'll find inspiration is actually everywhere. But if you've got a bit of time, and let's face it, we've all got a bit of time, let's boot up and head out into the street. Greetings, wanderers everywhere, um, and welcome back to Wonderful. I say welcome back, but if it's your first time listening to our podcast, uh, welcome. Uh, the place where wanderers come to get some inspiration on the go. Very nice uh, to be with you again. I've taken the idea of wandering literally and wandered away from England uh, and find myself in the Middle East, um, uh, which is which is great. It's it's um, it's very different. It's it's uh, it's actually not hot. It's quite cold. I'm wrapped in a scarf, and I'm doing this podcast not far from a major airport. So if we have in the middle of it uh, an air airplane landing over us then we'll just we'll just build that in i hope you're doing well um and uh i have really wonderful person in store for you today um a little bit about my context though why i'm out here i'm I'm working on a project there are many of these in the middle east which is looking to uh, look and looking at sustainability in a quite innovative way and uh you might think the middle east is not a lot of greenery and that's part of the point but there's, there's actually more than you think. That the desert where where I'm headed now is has got extraordinary pockets of uh, natural resilience, and uh, people are looking to develop that and um, using high technology, which is very appropriate. Because um, anyone listen back to previous episode with Gabriel Walker, the lovely Gabriel Walker, she was talking about the future isn't chrome or green, but both. That's to say, it isn't. It isn't sort of purely about organic nature, nor is it about high tech, but it's actually about both. And she bridges those two worlds, as does our guest today, the wonderful uh, Eliane Ubalijoro, um, who uh, is extraordinary. I've just got to blurt that one out. Um, uh, well, as I was talking to her, I actually thought, I don't think you're from around here. I think you've come from the future <laughs> back to help us um, see things in a different way. As you'll hear, Eliane bridges the world of um, sustainability and science. Um, But very specifically, she is seeking to connect up ancient wisdom about the environment and the most futuristic high-tech AI and so on and so forth. As she believes this is really the way that we learn the lessons we need in order to protect and develop life on Earth. She's somebody that comes from Rwanda, deeply connected, as she puts it, to her ancestors and to a, a world very deeply connected to the soil, which is one of her main passions, um, regenerative agriculture. But she's also, and she's also highly connected to the digital age and thinks that by living that fully, and connecting with the past, getting the past and future together, and really is the only way forward. 
I love it when she says, and I, uh, you'll, you'll hear her say, talk about her, her, her youth in Rwanda, but I think she points out at one point that the word for yesterday and tomorrow in Rwanda is the same. It just depends on your context. I think there's a lot for us there. <laughs> really, you know, we can be connected with the past or the future and all the future. It really depends on our context. So um, I'm not going to I'm, I'm not going to wander on, but just to say it was a real privilege um, to meet Eliane. She's one of those people who uh, just gives you energy to listen to her. I hope you feel the same. She's just somebody who she's she's in. Uh, in right in the middle of some of the, uh, the the most you know tricky and convoluted questions of our time and is just full of life and possibility and inspiration so without any further ado can I step out of the way and Andrew <laughs> our producer is nodding yeah yeah step out of the way shut up get off and get on with this uh, um, just wait wait Andrew um, Actually, there's nothing to wait for. Let's step out of the way and let's, uh, let's introduce the very wonderful Eliane. So, so my, my two most uh, active in terms of time day jobs are being the executive director of the Initiative Sustainability in the Digital Age and being the Canada Hub Director for Future Earth. And so Future Earth is a network of tens of thousands of uh, sustainability scientists in the world. And Sustainability in the Digital Age is an initiative that was created by my predecessor, um, Amy Lurz, who now leads sustainability at Microsoft. And it was the whole idea that we're in a digital age and how we look at sustainability needs to be looked at through the lens of technology and digitalization. And if we think of the 17 Sustainable Development Goals, there isn't one that actually mentions digital anywhere. And so it was this intent that we need an 18th sustainable development goal that's really harnessing digitalization for people, planet, prosperity, and purpose. And so my work is really how do we connect the boots on the ground sustainability work with the artificial intelligence, blockchain, machine learning space, and how do we use those different types of intelligence to accelerate our work towards 2030? Because we live in a time where there's targets for 2030, 2050, 2060. But for many of us, we won't be around in 2050 or 2060. And we know that the next nine years are really the critical time. And so for me, the big story is how are we going to disrupt how we feed the world by 2030? So I'm from Rwanda. And uh, I do a lot of work between India and Africa around regenerative agriculture. And what we know today is 80% of the population is between Asia and Africa. And in that, by 2050, we know that Africa's population is going to double. We also know that 65% of arable land in Africa is degrading. We also know that the subsidies around chemical fertilizer are further degrading African soils and increasing the greenhouse gas emissions coming from that. And so what we know is that we need to find a way to look at ecological agriculture in ways that meet the needs of capital markets, meets the needs of feeding billions of people. We need data metrics that shows us how to do that well. And so I have the privilege of working with Vijay Kumar, who is based in the state of Andhra Pradesh in India. And so Vijay has been working over the last 20 years with female smallholder farmers in India. 
So he was at the um, helped spearhead the small the uh, self help groups of women in India that have now over sixty eight million women in India. And what he learned working with women is that there's traditional knowledge that can be harnessed that can allow smallholder farmers to call what was initially um, labeled zero budget natural farming. And it's a type of farming that hits about 13 of the sustainable development goals. It's how do we grow food while increasing biodiversity, while increasing carb, uh, soil carbon sequestration, and increase agriculture's resilience. Whether you have monsoons, you have droughts, what we know is soils are a living space. And what we know is that soils that have worms, that have fungi, that have insects, can hold 50 times more water than soils that have been polluted and have no biological, have no uh, microbial life in them anymore and have lost the counts of insects and worms in them. And so what we need are soils that have resilience, that are sponges. Today, most of the cost around climate change are coming from floods. We've seen those images, terrible images around the world of flooded cities, of flooded spaces. And those costs are really related to how are we designing our human societies? How are we interacting with nature to keep soil alive? And so what I'm passionate about is how do we connect people, policymakers, smallholder farmers, researchers to accelerate the work needed to revive our soils and re allow this regenerative process so that we have ecosystems that are actually becoming more and more resilient. What we know, for example, is that ancient forests have root systems that connect to mycorrhizal fungi where the trees will communicate in the soil and will release certain chemicals depending on whether there are too many predators eating young shoots, uh, etc. And they will create a system that will rebalance itself. And so what we need is the agility of these ancient ecosystems, not only to be reimagined in how we do agriculture, but also reimagined in how do we do governance. Because what we need is very agile governance systems right now. I've never heard it said before, but when you said soil is a sponge and, and soils with worms and wiggly stuff, microbes, is 50 times more absorbent than soil that isn't. And that's what, you know, I think it's so brilliant when you can kind of, when you can concentrate your, you, the brilliance into something that people can't forget. I can't forget that now. Soil is a sponge. I wonder, you talk very persuasively about the need to disrupt thinking. And it's big what you're talking about. I read your Mon the Montreal Declaration and so on. And could you describe one or two of the big stories you're up against, if you like? I think for, for me, the, the big story I, I'm up against is a model of innovation that's hierarchical and that excludes and that is elitist and that is disconnected from traditional wisdom, science, and knowledge. So the story is kind of innovation has got to be this shaped, and it's got to have a man on the top, probably. 
Yes. And there's a whole process, but it's not grassroots innovation. Is that what you mean? No, no, no. For, for me, the, the type of innovation that I see gets supported, empowered, and fueled with money resources uh, is, is often a type of innovation that rewards um, the ivory towers that are the most powerful in the world and that dismisses voices that are on the ground that still hold in them centuries of ancestral knowledge. And that disconnect for me is a lost opportunity to truly live our digital age that is all about our interconnectedness. And, and so is the story within the story that you're up against there with innovation, is the story something like indigenous peoples don't know what I know? You know, I'm innovation happens with computers and in labs and stuff, but somehow discounting the power that the wisdom, thousands of years of wisdom of indigenous peoples. It's discounting the wisdom and discounting the, the depth, the complexity of indigenous knowledge systems. And I think there's immense power that needs to be harnessed, especially as we think about what is the consciousness level we're bringing to our technological age. So when, when you meet that story, and I'm sure you are battling, you know, in every day, um, or I don't know, maybe you don't think of it as battling, but when you meet that story, do you have counter stories that you can use to get people to go, oh, maybe Eliane's got a point. I mean, how do you, how do you, how do you react when you run into that story? Well, I think part of my story is the story of a African woman who was born in the space where I was deeply connected with nature uh, and with the stories of my ancestors who flew to North America for university and went on to get her PhD in academia. And so I hold the knowledge systems of the West and the knowledge systems of my ancestors. And so my work is about bridging both. So, so for me as a bridge, it's, it's how do I connect those different knowledge systems so that we all live our interconnectedness more fully. And so that change is easier for all of us working together. You see, I get that. You know, I, I've bounced off a little bit some of the language. We'll come to language maybe in a minute. But you're in, in academia, you guys speak a language that some of us don't speak. I mean, it's very confusing listening in. But that I get. That I really get. It's beautiful. And I kind of went ting because I went, I got it. And because the other thing that I deeply connected with, and I see if I got this right, you're also, in this sustainability in the digital age, you are seeking to join together two worlds that really very often seen as entirely different, which is digital and sustainability. Tell us, if I got, if I got that right, tell me about that. Tell me about bridge. Am I right? Is it bridging those Absolutely. worlds? I think for me, it's really bridging those worlds is also bridging the knowledge systems that I've grown up with. And so it's really about how do I br help bring about an era of inclusive innovation where all knowledge systems count so that our collective intelligence really allows us to harness planetary intelligence in terms of the knowledge we have now, the knowledge of our ancestors, the knowledge of our ancestors living in harmony with nature for, 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 for tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of years and realizing that there is immense knowledge there for us to harness. 
and to not discount it and to really stay connected in terms of the past, the present and the future so that we bring forward all that is the best of all of these different knowledge systems without judging them or weighing them against each other, saying one is more powerful than the other. I don't think we will resolve the climate issues until we connect those different knowledge systems together. I love that. And I love, was it you telling the story about the fig tree? There's a story, I'm not sure if that's, Wangari Mathai has a story around uh, a a tree that, um, that was in her, her, her village as a child that, that nourished the water systems. And under that tree, there was shade, the, the leaves fell and fertilized the soil. The people were able to eat the fruit. And because of how agricultural systems were changing, deforestations were happening, the tree being cut down, all of that ecosystem was lost and, and the water tables went down. And so not only were we losing the shade where women and children were gathering to talk, but we were losing the fertilization of the leaves going back to the soil, the deep roots that were nourishing the soil and keeping it working as a sponge. And so a whole knowledge system was lost. And that space that she remembers from her childhood doesn't exist anymore. It's just heartbreaking. I loved what you said about planetary intelligence. Suddenly, my brain went, oh, because you know, I, I feel, for me anyway, that the when we tell stories, and even if they're micro stories, it changes our model of the world. This, tell us about planetary intelligence. Do you mean, is that both digital and indigenous? It's digital. It's it's indigenous. If we, if we think about the cosmology of indigenous people, it, it's really how we are an element within the universe. And so we look at time in different ways. There's longitudinal time, there's there's different uh, ways of looking at time. I, I think about in my native Kenya Rwanda, yesterday and tomorrow are the same word, it's Eju. And so it's depending on how I conjugate my verb that you know if I'm talking about yesterday or tomorrow. And so how we see ourselves in terms of cosmologically is really critical to how we move forward. And I think of, I live in Canada and indigenous populations always say, how do we govern for seven generations from now? And so if our politicians were thinking about that, if our stock markets were were pricing stocks, thinking about that, if we were looking at not only profit and products in terms of capital, but social capital, human capital, and natural capital. And if we're considering all those together, how differently would we be interacting? And how would this short-termism disappear from how we're actually looking ourselves? Because we are looking at ourselves within the cosmology, within this universe that we're part of. And it's not about my life, but it's about how do I contribute to the greater whole by interconnecting and living my interdependence with everything. And do you find, Elian, are you having, imagine I am the guy from, you know, whatever, some big Canadian conglomerate or whatever, global conglomerate who's kind of listening to you and has that look in their eye, which is, you know, that's very nice, Eliane, but you've got to understand shareholder returns and, you know, da-da-da-da-da. Have you had those conversations where you've been able to switch on this possibility of something different in in the the other, if you like? Because it seems to me that's the critical thing, is people seem to understand this 
at one level, but are not willing necessarily to act at, at, with the urgency that's required. Have you found, have you converted people? So, so one of the, I, I really uh, love Simon Sinek's model around innovators, early adopters, and really being very respectful of that process. And so my urgency right now is connecting to all those who are ready around the world and supporting them and supporting each other. So we accelerate and so that we're not working in islands of knowledge, but we're interconnecting all of those. Because for some people, it's going to take time. They're going to have to see it to believe it. And so part of it, for example, like in Africa or India, is as we adopt regenerative agriculture, people see that a soil that was bare, that there's butterflies, that there are bees, that there are worms in the soil, that no matter what climate event happens, the soil is resist is resilient, that the crops are resilient. So for some people, you're going to have to see it. And so this is why my work with people in artificial intelligence and data metrics is so important, because some will need the data to believe it. Some are visionaries, and they will vision and live the image before it happens. And so it's important to respect where people are and not force it. And so also part of it for me is working with the, with the ecology of systems in terms of let me work with everybody who gets it so we collectively accelerate the movement so for those who don't get it that they can live the images that we are creating and get excited about being part of something they didn't even know was possible oh that's beautiful so you're happy to pioneer and whilst there's urgency you're not you don't feel you want to brutal, you know, sort of force people yeah. into. And how do you manage that? You talked about today and tomorrow being the same and so on and so forth. What is your own timeline? Because we hear we've got 60 harvests to get this right and yeah. so on. How do you manage in the small hours and, you know, when you're looking up, you can't sleep. How do you manage your, uh, your feelings about the future? Are you, well, I, I don't know if I described it well, but it would be easy, it seems to me, to to become quite panicked about the shortness of time that seems available? Well, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that I'm from Rwanda. And, and in 1994, I was 22 years old. And so um, the, the month of April and 100 days that, that were the time of the genocide against the Tutsi showed me what the worst of leadership could produce on the planet. And I thought, if we took that same energy and made it positive, we have no idea the amazing, wonderful thing we could harness. And so part of my, I, I'm not Pollyannish in how I advance. I really know that there's power. We have power to do evil, but we can also have power to do great things. And so I believe that harnessing our collective intelligence is what we need to do. We need to make sure that your intelligence, my intelligence, when they meet, that they're bigger than our in individual intelligence together. Mm -hmm. And so if we take billions of people's intelligence, if we take nature's intelligence and connect all of it and connect it with artificial intelligence and all of these wonderful tools, we have no idea what we can achieve. What we know is that technologically, we can do it right now as much money is going into hydrocarbon subsidies that should be going into the sustainable development bills. So it's a really a matter of choice and it's a matter of, of cultivating active hope constantly saying every day I'm going to do what I need to do to move things forward. I will connect with as many people who are eager to advance forward. And the more interconnected we are, the less powerless we feel because I know what it is to feel completely powerless. 
And so I go back to my 22 year self and I think of where I am today and I think of everything I've accomplished. And I think of if collectively we can believe in our collective power. I think one of the problems is where we don't believe in our collective power enough yet. And if we did believe in it, and if we harnessed the arts and we connected it with science and we connected this to indigenous wisdom and all of these wonderful technological tools we have to operate at higher levels of consciousness, there is no reason for us to reverse all of the uh, losses of biodiversity that we faced that to really not only keep ourselves between the 1.5 degrees, but really go to a space where there will always be resilience. And I really believe that our biggest limitation is the mind and our disconnect between the mind and the heart. Um, this idea of intelligence, you made me think there's natural intelligence. Mm -hmm. And then it's funny that they call AI artificial intelligence because it's maybe it isn't artificial, maybe it's digital, but it's not artificial in the sense that it is come out of, it's sort of come out of us. Mm -hmm. We programmed it, and maybe joining natural and digital intelligence creates planetary intelligence. But the idea, that's a story I've not heard before, but I could see that interesting somebody who's very materialistic and very, uh, uh, like, in it, has a very engineering mind, mm -hmm. might not ever have thought of nature as something, which, as an intelligent system. I, I think that is the big, um, the big lie. The big lie of today is the discounting of the of nature's intelligence because we've had over 400 years of exploitation of nature and man. If you think of the 400 years of colonization and exploitation of, of natural resources to just gain more and more power, and so we had to discount nature's intelligence in order to exploit it. In the same way people of of African ancestry or, or black had to be considered three-fifths of a human being to say we can enslave them because they're not really people. And so it's how we create narratives that are exploitative and dangerous and allow disempowerment of whole systems. I loved what you said somewhere about leafy greens. It's like, huh? But the idea, tell, tell us about Africa. You said 60% of the calories in the world are from four crops or something like that. Yes, yes, yes. Basically, most of our calories are from rice, potato, wheat, and corn. And so if you think of our, well, for me especially, because a lot of the um, non-communicable diseases in the world are accelerating, especially in Africa. And our ancestors ate a lot of leafy greens that were climate resilient crops that had high levels of nutrients. And so we're seeing increases in, in heart disease and diabetes and cancer because we're not nourishing our bodies in the way we need to. And for a lot of African people, because of our ancestry, we're not made to eat all of this high carb, high fat diets. We just can't, we, we can't process it. Uh, our, our bodies will just store fat and, and we, we are not made to eat those kinds of foods. And also in indigenous populations in, in, in the Americas also being confronted with this modern diet of high carb, hard fat doesn't work with our uh, needs in terms of nutrigenomics. And so part of it is what we need in terms of climate resi resilience is also what we need 
in terms of nourishing our bodies for greater health. So we need diets that are healthy for our bodies and for our planets. And that really um, entails going back to neglected um, tropical plants, especially in the tropics, that have been disregarded, but are high in nutrients, are often higher in fiber and proteins, so that are making us more um, healthier, better able to fight diseases, and also, these crops don't require all of these pesticides and fertilizers to grow effectively, so they also allow biodiversity to thrive. And if they allow biodiversity to thrive, then we can really live in a space where we have more biodiversity. We know that over 90% of the land mass of the mammals um, in the world are humans, their pets, and all the um, animals in our food chains. And so part of it is, if you think about it, so 10% of mammal mass is all the wild animals out there. So who are emerging diseases going to be attacking? They're going to be attacking us and the animals in our food systems and our pets. And so part of it is rewilding in terms of allowing biodiversity to thrive is also ensuring that emerging diseases aren't going to come and attack us. And this is why ensuring that biodiversity thrives is critical to our health and the health of the planet. Do you get super frustrated? And if so, what's the story you tell yourself to get yourself through that? Well, what I tell myself is the we have education systems, we have spaces of storytelling, the power of media that need to harness these stories that you and I are cultivating. And so part of it is how do I create spaces for more people to gain the needed knowledge, for them to have hope and to have a capacity for action. And so I, I'm not frustrated. I feel deep sorrow for the fact that we have an internet where there's six to seven to nine times more misinformation than true information. And so for me, it's about how can storytelling bring out the beauty and truth of what we need to live our interdependence. And so I'm excited about the mission of cultivating our interdependence and opening more people to cultivating planetary intelligence and respecting all of these different knowledge systems so we can resonate and work at a higher level of power and consciousness for everybody. Cultivating planetary intelligence is such a powerful phrase. I get it. That is really this act of growing together yeah. our collective planetary intelligence, be it natural or be it digital or what other forms, amazing. How does growing up with the same word for today and tomorrow affect your thoughts, the way you think about the future or the present? Does it? Well, it does. For me, it, everything I do, I do for my ancestors and the generations to come. And, and when I'm not frustrated because my ancestors are with me and they're cheering me on and they're creating opportunities of synchronicity for me to meet people, to connect people so that so they are helping me move things forward. So I don't see for me there. The, the connection is so strong between the past and the present that if I am present, I can harness all of those different forms of wisdom. Do you ever, do you have the same feeling about the future that sends some sort of future generations? I've sometimes had this feeling that it's consoling. It's a consoling story for me, a fiction, if you like, but a useful fiction that maybe I'm 
I'm coming back from the future. Imagine if you come back from the future mm-hmm. to help make better choices. That's yes. that sort of came as a revelatory idea to me. Mm-hmm. It's like just imagine mm-hmm. how would you live your life now if you felt like you'd come from the future. Just it's like that question you ask. How how would if I imagine myself seven, seven generations hence, yes. how would I look back at Eliane yes. and describe? How would they? Do, how would you like? people seven generations hence to describe the work you're doing now? I would like them to say Eliane did everything she could so we could live in harmony with nature and harness technology for good and ensure that all children all over the world would be nurtured, fed, and creatively uh, allowed to artistically, scientifically, humanly, socially thrive at the highest level possible. We talk about nature in terms of love, loving nature, but people who live within it, live with it, we all live within nature, but within the natural world, perhaps. Indigenous peoples talk about it more in terms of value. Yes. And we need to be sensitive to that, that yes. for them, the trees and stuff that we think need to be loved, they feel they need to produce value. Tell me, more, is that right? And tell me more about that. So I, I think it comes down to what, ha- for me, COVID-19 is a crisis of values. It's how, how we lived with nature and allowed COVID-19 to come. Because, you know, it, it's, it's a pandemic, but we've had several epidemics before. We've had Ebola, we've had um, uh, SARS, we, we've had so many warnings. And so loving nature is not enough. We have to value nature. And this is a profound knowledge that Indigenous people live and cultivate every single day. And this is why Indigenous people don't have the word waste. Waste doesn't exist because everything needs to go back into the system, regenerate and feed. So we have created an artificial system where we think things are linear and we think systems have a mechanical way of going about themselves, but we have completely disconnected from who we are and how we're elements within a larger ecosystem, even a larger organism that is the earth. And if you think of ourselves as living in the organism that's earth, what's important to remember is that if you have disease in part of the body, there's no other organ that's superior. If some part of your body shuts down, it affects everything. And so that sense of interdependence is what we urgently need to cultivate so that we reconnect with who we really are. I come away from this conversation with, well, with more hope. And it's almost penetrating the black cloud of fear, really, with possibility. We are the stewards of the world at this moment, and we need to do the best by it. That's exactly how Indigenous people think. It's all about how do we be the best stewards possible for nature. And you're telling these stories all the time. Are you optimistic? I'm, I'm, I'm a realist. I know we can go in either direction, and I know my work is to continue to reimagine, to dream, to act 
so that as we have greater impact, as, as more and more people come along, that we can collectively live hope actively and that our action brings more people and so that the social movement becomes a planetary movement. And so collectively that we own our power and bring about the change. But I'm very, very um, realistic that we can also go the other way. And so that's why I can't stop. That's why no matter how many times I fail, I have to get up and keep going because of those generations down the line. They are depending on all of us. And it's so we have to keep going no matter how dark and impossible it may seem some days. If you think about a lot of the great innovations in the world, for a lot of people that seemed impossible, just think about ourselves in 2018 and think about this masked world we're living in. Think of <laughs> yourself in 2018 coming to 2021 and see everybody masked and say, what is this strange space? So anything that was impossible becomes possible. And so part of it is how do we co-create the future? How do we dream the future we want and re-engineer it from the present so that we can get there? To what extent do you think your youthful experiences give you the power, the, the energy to do your work? Well, I have memories of being in the 70s and seeing these clear streams, these forests, hearing the birds. I have memories of the genocide. I have memories of many loved ones, friends who died. And for me, I'm here. And, and so I could have a sense of guilt for being here, but I have a sense of urgency mm. to do what the people who aren't here mm. couldn't do. And so I have to live my life with urgency because of the trauma that is held by my country. And when I'm in Rwanda and I see, I talk to young people and how passionate they are and how eager they are to learn and contribute. I'm overwhelmed by the power that we don't even know we have. So I, I, I remember giving talks 15 years ago and now meeting young women who have their PhDs and who remember who were there and heard a talk I gave and were inspired by the work I was doing. And now I am in awe of the work they're doing. And, and, and then I remember my 22-year-old self writing her master's thesis while not knowing if anybody I loved in Rwanda was alive or dead. And so I hold all of these dimensions with me all the time. And it's about holding more. The more trauma we have, the more hope and dream, the bigger dreams have to be. Because if not, we can be swallowed up by the suffering, the pain, and, and, and be paralyzed. And so that's why I remind people, dreaming is free. <laughs> Nobody can prevent you from dreaming. So give yourself the opportunity to dream so audaciously that people are going to say, how dare you? And so that's how I say, dare dream beyond anything anybody thinks you can dream. But only share it with the people who can help you get there. Well, we promised you inspiration on the go, and I, I hope you agree that Eliane more than delivers. I'm, uh, every time I hear her, I, I, I get inspired again. One of the things that I really, I really, I think I almost envy about her is her connection with the past and the future. I don't know about you, but I spend a lot of my time 
doing my best to <laughs> manage the present, you know. But she really has got this, she seems to carry this, this broad uh, time scale with her. And I thought, um, as, as, as we always do, we, we follow our interview with a, a little exercise and experience that we have while we're walking. And I thought it might be interesting for us all. Uh, uh, Andrew, I'm talking to you as well, so you've got to do this. Um, to see if we can connect a little bit more than we normally would to our, the past, to our past, yeah, and our future. So this is a walk, um, in a minute, I'm going to invite that we you pause, the, you pause the podcast and you spend about 10 minutes uh, going for a walk, bearing these instructions in mind, notice what you noticed, and then turn on again and we'll share what we um, discovered, because I'm going to do it alongside you, and so is, reluctantly by the look of it, so is Andrew. Um, so here's, here, here's, the, here's, here's, here's the idea. What I'd love us to do is, is whatever time you've got, split it in half. We'll do this in two halves. And what I want us to do is, is go for a wander. And remember, that means sort of not too purposeful in a way. Let your feet decide where you're going to go rather than your busy mind or your, your ever-questing eyes. Allow yourself to maybe wander about, get lost, take a side, take a side road and just end up where you didn't expect. And as you do that, I want you to imagine you're walking backwards in time and think about the people who were here before. Go back as far as you like. You could go back to prehistory if you want. But just really the idea is to go back and connect with those who came before, including also animal life natural life I mean we're supposed to be part of natural life and as you're doing that simply enjoy whatever my, your way your mind wants to do that your body wants to do that and allow a message to come to mind what's the message you'd send back from this time to those that came before and when you're about halfway through you know what we're gonna do we're gonna walk back and this time we're walking into the future and allow those who come next, those who come after, come to mind. And what would be the message you send them from this point in the present? It could be anything. It could be a um, thanks, appreciation, encouragement, a message in a bottle, if you like, uh, uh, some advice, a warning. I don't know, it might even be a, a song you like. Let, let the message emerge let it, let it come through the walking um, and maybe you even surprise yourself so off we go ready to pause that uh, pause, pause the podcast and start walking walking back in time noticing how the environment around you looks different as you wind back the clock just let your imagination take you back in time as far as you need to go. That's it. Amazing. Yeah, keep going. That's good. Cool. So welcome back. Um, hope you enjoyed your 
walk into the past and walk into the future. Um, Andrew and I were having a little chat just before you came back and uh, he had an interesting time looking at, he discovered a picture of his, uh, actually of his parents, um, which he hadn't looked at for ages. I had, a, I had an interesting experience. Um, as you can hear, I'm in this sort of in-between world near a near an airport and um, and, and not in my natural habitat when I my, my yeah, it isn't my natural habitat it's not my familiar habitat when I when I walked back into the past therefore I didn't meet anybody from my family in a way I, I just found myself amongst you know imagine myself amongst the, the inhabitants of this of this of this desert area and um, I suddenly felt like we, they, they looked into the future and, and thought about who were to follow with a kind of sense of care, almost like, it's almost like parents thinking about their kids. And I suddenly found it was, it was as though um, it, I was like a kid phoning home <laughs> and my messages to these, these, these ancestral parents w was two. One was... Um, quite sweet really it was one was um we 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 want to make you proud and the second was more a question which was any advice because <laughs> i had the sense that they could probably see some things that we couldn't see i also got a sense you know we often to be quite down on ourselves um as as a you know as a race and all the things that we've messed up but actually looking through their eyes i think there's all sorts of wonder actually about what we've achieved um, and then walking forward into the future, um, I found a word, I don't know if you had this, some, sometimes walking is a brilliant uh, stimulus for creativity anyway, right? So often writers walk, and I know when I've been in script writing, I walk with people and we walk forward, and as you walk forward, ideas seem to come up. And so as I was walking, a word came up, actually an Italian word, amartevi, which means um, love each other. And though my brain wanted to come up with something else, my body, that's all it popped up. It, its message to the future was uh, to the people that follow is love each other. And, and, and I paused and I dwelt on it a little bit more. And I think probably because of the subject of this podcast, I felt myself, I'm, I pictured a world in which, um, yeah, technology and nature are indistinguishable. Um, it, and it's all about appreciating life, really harnessing it, appreciating it, um, developing it, nurturing it. So those are my messages. Uh, I think I probably got as many messages as I gave. I hope you enjoyed that. We'd love to know what uh, you discovered as you, as you wandered. Um, so please let us know which you can do um, by contacting the podcast in the details provided. So the third episode of a series uh, that we're delighted to be bringing you on, on this subject of sustainability. Um, keep your eyes open. There's more to come. And until we uh, meet again, meet and wander again, um, have a wonderful time. You can find out more about these mindful walking techniques at streetwisdom.org, a global non-profit founded by David Pearl. Street Wisdom is an everyday creative practice you use as you walk to help you unblock your mind to find clarity and inspiration. 
why not follow us at streetwisdom underscore for free guided in-person and online workshops. You got it. Walking workshops. You can also download our audio guides on Spotify. Just search for Street Wisdom. Happy wandering! <laughs>